0: All right, Steph, I've got a question for you. What's your favorite book of all time?
1: Uh, Obviously, You Met Her Where. Oh, I
0: thought you were going to say the Bible. Oh, oops. (laughs) What's your second favorite book of all time?
1: You Met Her Where?
0: (laughs) (laughs) A distant second. Totally distant. It's a pretty good book. Sorry, God. It's still a pretty pretty good book. But we're so excited. Where can people get our book, honey?
1: Okay, I know this. Uh, Amazon.com. Yes. Barnes and Noble. Yes. And and our website, KevinSteph.com. And, and, and what
0: happens if they buy it off our website? <gasps> uh, what do they get?
1: Uh, an autograph from us. Yes. Who wouldn't want that?
0: Exactly. So, listeners, if you've already read the book, thank you so much. We've had such good feedback. One thing that helps us, if you can give us a review on Amazon.com, we would greatly appreciate it. Thank you so much, and thank you for listening. Hello, friends. Welcome to another episode of Tell Us A Good Story. Today, we have a conversation with Joe McCarvel, who has over 20 years of experience as a 911 dispatcher and instructor. He has some phenomenal stories to tell and a few intense stories as well. So hope you enjoy this episode of
1: Tell Us A Good Story.
0: stuff. I have a feeling, honey, this next conversation is going to be a lot of fun.
1: It's going to be so great.
0: You were ready for this last night.
1: I'm so excited about this conversation. Yes. Okay. Let's get started. Let's okay. do this.
0: Friends, our next guest has over 20 years of experience in 911 emergency communications. He is very passionate about training 911 leaders. He also has a bunch of certifications in a medical, or emergency medical police and fire dispatch. He has also been an FBI instructor and is currently a certified speaker with the John Maxwell team. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome to Tell Us a Good Story, Mr. Joe McCarville.
2: Wow, it's quite an introduction. going to have some stuff to follow up with all that. Uh, thanks uh, for having me on. It's great to be here. I'm really looking forward to today's episode. Well, you're a pretty
1: big deal here, Joe. Seriously.
0: Oh, absolutely. We, we are so thrilled to have you on. So thank you for saying yes Yes, to us.
1: And thank <laughs> you for all you've done for our country. From everything. It's just, thank you. Our What you do to out. serve.
0: Yes. Yeah. Well, first off, I want to get this out of the way, okay? I want to publicly apologize to you and all your fellow 911 dispatchers. Because somehow, a couple weeks ago, I accidentally butt-dialed 911. <laughs> Shocker. And got in my car and realized I had a missed call from 911. Oh, Kevin. And a missed voicemail from 911. So they called me back. And wanted to validate that I was okay. And so I immediately called them back and I felt so bad. that That's that's the only time I have ever called 911 in my life, Joe. So forgive me and other people who completely waste your time. (laughs) Is that a common occurrence, by the way, for that to happen?
2: Very common occurrence every day where we have to call somebody back. We try to preach and teach and everything else. If you call 911, stay on the line, even if it's an accident, so we can just talk to you. Uh, If not, we're going to be trying to uh, find you by using additional resources. Has your number ever called us before? Uh, Did an address come up with your phone call? Things like that. So if we can confirm, hey, it was an accident or a butt dial, or whatever it might be. And that is the proper term. I hear that all over in all the other 911 centers I go to that I just received a butt dial. So that, that's awesome that you guys are using uh, the same terminology that we use in the industry. So that's very common. And I would not feel very bad about it. Just try to lock your phone the next time it's uh, in your
0: right. pocket. See, Steph, <laughs> so you don't have to give me mm-hmm. crap for, for doing just that.
1: just being nice to you. <laughs> <He's being> nice. <laughs> so
0: Joe, we are fascinated mm. by what you do. And When I think of you and what you've done in the past with 911 dispatchers and being instructor for FBI, I immediately think of the movie Taken, okay? Mm -hmm. When the guy's daughter, Liam Neeson's daughter is underneath the bed and she's calling her dad. She's not calling 911, but she's calling her dad because someone just broke in, Mm -hmm. right? And I think of you and your team and you probably have to deal with these type of calls all the time, right? So... What's one of the more memorable or craziest phone calls you've received or you've been on the, you know, the other end, you've been listening to someone on your team have yeah, with one, a customer?
2: Yeah, I'm just going to correct one little minor thing is that I'm FBI instructor certified, but I haven't taught at the FBI just yet. Okay. So FBI gotcha. instructor certified. Yeah, that's a, But the one interesting thing that I uh, would relate to the movie Taken was I was the manager and one of our dispatchers was actually on the phone with an intruder. And it was a younger child, but an old enough child to know the address, know where they were, everything else. And the intruder was breaking into the residence and the dispatcher got the information. Uh, the caller stayed on the line with us. He said, okay, when once they get in the house, you may not be able to talk freely, keep the line open, keep it with you. Uh, actually hid underneath the bed. Oh man, And I, we're listening to this live go down. We got officers and law enforcement and en route, you know, emergency and it, they, the caller, the young child did say, they're coming into my bedroom. He said, okay, don't talk to me again. I'm here with you. Don't talk to me again. And then by the time they left, uh, she described it as being able to see like some black shoes uh, that the intruder was wearing. And as the intruder was walking out the back door, we had officers there on scene and were able to make an apprehension and an arrest. And that call, and when you brought up taken, that's the call that instantly uh, stuck with me. It wasn't my call, it was somebody else's, but I could not be more proud of all the techniques that our dispatcher used of staying on the line, keeping it open, getting the address. Where are they coming in from? Okay, you need to hide or get yourself to safety. Don't talk anymore. Leave the line open. Don't say anything. I'm not going to say anything back. Wanted to be able to listen to what was going on and really used all of our training so that the officers could make an apprehension and keep the um, child safe as well. So that call reminds me of that movie is the one that sticks out to me the most. That is literally like the movie.
1: Yeah, my mouth like, is open. I have goosebumps on my arms. I can't imagine. I can't. That is so good the way you just described it. And hopefully listeners are listening. It's like, okay, oh, hey, this is what I need you to do.
0: So how long, how long was that call, Joe, then before yeah. your team or the team of officers got there?
2: I would say between four and six minutes. I don't remember the exact time. That was a few years ago. Uh, they were able to apprehend the suspect as the suspect was walking out of the residence. So that was a, a call that I'm forever uh, very proud of everybody. And the fact that the caller was also safe and was a young caller at that just makes it that much more remarkable.
1: So you kept talking about training. They use We use our training. So what is training like for you guys?
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, a new dispatcher, and it depends on which uh, state you're in. So each state is a little bit different. There's some states that have mandatory required training. Uh, some states are now moving towards that but don't have it. Some states may do emergency medical, or agencies may do emergency medical dispatch. Some may not. 911 uh, training is a big topic and something that's being looked at, but for Where I work, I know our state requires a 40 hour in service to certify you as a a certified state dispatcher and then we also do emergency medical, fire and police dispatch, which is three day courses. They get trained in what's called the National Crime Information Center or NCIC to be able to run warrants um, and run driver's licenses, run license plates, then we also get CPR trained. And then we have on-the-job training as well. So anywhere from six to nine months is what it's now taking us before we cut a dispatcher loose on their own. Um, Other agencies, that time could be longer. And some agencies, it could be drastically shorter as well, depending on what all they have to learn and what they have to do.
1: I want the state that has the longest training. (laughs) I'm going to pick that one. (laughs)
2: And and you're in Iowa, right? Yes,
0: in Iowa. Iowa. And you've done this for 20 years. Mm -hmm. So What do you do to get ready for the day, right? Or when you were at the desk, right? Mm -hmm. Because literally, you are amping yourself up, not knowing what is about to come on the other end of that phone, right? So what are your mornings like to get you ready to start taking all these phone calls?
2: Yeah, the one thing that I did is I worked uh, the majority of my time when I was dispatched, and I was taking phone calls from 1998 to 2004, And during that time, I trained a lot of dispatchers. But for me, the majority of my time was spent on the midnight shift, the overnight shift. So I would wake up after about five hours of sleep. I didn't require as much sleep as I do now as I've gotten a little older. And I would get up and I would exercise just for stress reasons alone. That, That for me is what did it. And then I would eat and then eat supper or breakfast before I went in because you're eating at like three or four in the morning. So that was different and unique. Uh, but you just have to answer that call knowing that it could go any direction you know you could be talking to a fight, somebody that needs cPR, somebody that has has been involved in an accident uh, any sort of call or it could be um you know maybe a frequent flyer that's maybe uh challenged in certain ways, maybe a, a little bit crazy or whatever, and reports some stuff that may be just completely obscure and uh, so you have to be willing to be able to rely on your training but the main thing is uh, you always need the address in order to send help. So no right. matter what type of call it is, they all t- typically start the same. Where are you at? What's the location or what's the address? And then we need to know what you need. Do you need medical, fire, police? Do you need a combination of the three? So where and what is the way I would describe the majority of calls. And then just asking questions to protect the responders and also protect the callers as well. So so you
0: don't have GPS then? when you call because I mean you're asking them is it is it more to confirm the location where they're at
2: yeah you always want to confirm and don't want to rely on that but and uh, 911 technologies came a long ways uh, when I first started the only thing you got was the GPS coordinates of the cell phone tower which didn't tell you a lot so that's considered a phase one cell phone call and then phase two cell phone call comes with somewhat uh, GPS coordinates of where they may be within a range but it's also on an X, Y type axis. So if they're in an apartment building or a hotel, or if they're on a second story, you're not getting that vertical distance of where they may be. So having the caller tell you where they're at is the most important.
0: I'm just thinking back to Joe, what you said earlier with literally that taken scene Mm -hmm. playing out in real life, right? Have you ever had a situation where you're on the phone with someone and the line drops, the line cuts out and you're like, what just happened? <laughs> yeah. Right? Like, you know, midway through your conversation. Yeah. How, how do you handle that? What do you do?
2: Yeah. Well, the one that sticks out in my mind there is also a burglary in progress that I actually took. And the caller was trying to hide. And then I heard uh, gunfire. And then the uh, call did go dead. And, you know, so I had officers on the way and everything else. And when we got there, there had been gunfire inside the residence. Uh, luckily, the caller was not struck or hit and it was a good burglary in progress, but you try to make sure you know where they're at. If you don't know where they're at, kind of going back to what I said previously, running their phone number through your system to see if they've ever called before. Maybe you have GPS coordinates from the call. Uh, If you have an address, check and pass calls for service at the address to see if there's a history at that address, what type of call it is or could be. And you just try to find out as much information as you can to get them help as quickly as you can.
1: You're kind of like a detective, but like really quick, right? <laughs> yeah.
2: Quick, yeah, quick yeah.
1: to try to figure out all that information. Once once something like that happens and the call goes dead, will the police contact you to let you know what happened? Or are you like always after just the in the, facts. yeah, or are you in this in the dark?
2: Yeah, we try to contact them if we if we feel it's safe to call them back. And the majority of the time, we're going to try calling the number back to see what more information we can find out. Uh, if if we would lose contact and somebody might be breaking in where that kid was hiding, we may not call back if we have mm-hmm. the address because we don't want to give up that they're hiding in the house. Uh, so it really depends and you have to rely on your training. But uh, we will try to send officers for what we call a welfare check. Some people may call it something else, a public service type call uh, to check the status of what's going on there if we lose connection. And then hopefully they'll be able to make contact and figure out what's going on. But sometimes even the officers will show up and knock on the door and nobody will answer. So we sometimes leave, you know, unknown as to why the 911 call really did come in. Oh, that'd be tough. That'd be tough. That'd be
0: very tough. Mm -hmm. Well, Joe, I was thinking about Steph and I. Okay. And would we be good as a 911 dispatcher?
1: Yes, I would.
0: And immediately. Yes. I said, no, absolutely not. (laughs)
1: I would be good. <laughs> not a chance. I could totally do this.
0: Here's what it's not that you could do this. Okay. Right? Here's my here's my wife, Joe. Okay. My wife is as sweet as apple pie. Okay. She would take the phone call and then go try to save that person. Like Ugh. hop in your van and go I try would. to save them yourself. That's a good
1: point. <laughs> mm-hmm.
0: Me, after taking a a couple rough phone calls, you would then start getting the unfiltered version of Kevin. Like why don't you know where you're at, right? Like, (laughs) help me help you here, folks, right? Like, I would not do well after a couple rough calls.
1: that's true, too. I would would
0: not do well. So what makes a good potential 911 dispatcher, right, when you're hiring and training people?
2: Yeah, I would say somebody that is, A, a a good listener, uh, because you have to not only listen to what's being said, but pick up on background noises in the background.
0: Oh, um, yes. So,
2: yeah, somebody that thinks quickly is not afraid to make decisions, somebody that's willing to learn and invest in the department that they work for to learn geography, because the better you know your area of the responsibility, the better you're going to be at figuring out where somebody is. Uh, so, and somebody that's dependable, reliable, everything else. But the main thing is somebody that's driven and willing to learn is the biggest thing that a 911 dispatcher can have. Uh, as far as wanting to go save them and go to the scene, <laughs> that's really funny. Um, Halle Berry made a movie. I don't remember the name of the movie where she does like go to the scene and she's a 911 dispatcher and everything else. I forget the name of it. Uh, But that's interesting that you use that as the example. And then the other example you use, like, well, help me help you. The (laughs) the attitude that kicks in. Both of the examples you gave are, well, the ones from the movie scene, 911 dispatchers should not be going to the scene to save somebody. (laughs) Uh, But the other one where the attitude kicks in is a big hurdle for 911 dispatchers. I bet. both of those are accurate in, uh, in different ways, one in the movies and one in real life. So very funny that you use those examples.
0: So when you watched that movie, whatever the title was, was it brutal for you to watch it? Because I'm sure they Hollywoodize it, right? right. And like, is everything just completely unrealistic as you're watching it?
2: Yeah, the beginning was really good when she was in the uh, call center. Uh, and a lot of that was realistic of, I think she was, maybe it's been a while since I've watched it training somebody else at the time. And then she takes the call over. Uh, and, but then the rest of the movie, uh, the premise of the rest of the movie where she's going to the scene and everything else was a little far fetched. I thought (laughs) for, for a 911 dispatcher, that's why we have officers and law enforcement and everything else.
1: So how you talk about the call center, how many people are in your call center at one time?
2: Yeah, we uh, typically have five people working from 7 a.m. to 11 p.m. P. And then 11 p.m. to 7 a.m. will go down to four. And our city's roughly around 130,000 people. Uh, so you can get into some larger centers that have uh, multiple dispatchers working. And you can also work in centers that just have one dispatcher, where they're the one taking oh, no. the call and they're the one dispatching it. Uh, so there's a wide variety of the type of center you're going to see and get into. We are considered... Um, one of the larger agencies in the state of Iowa. Uh, Nationwide, we're probably a medium-sized agency. Uh, And then the small agencies are just one person.
0: So with you being in Iowa, wasn't there a storm that just went through Iowa um, here in August, I guess? Did did that impact you then, Joe?
2: Oh, hugely. Uh, I'm glad you brought that up. I say the word derecho. I don't know if I'm saying it right to this day. When I When I got called on my way home from that ship, they said, you just experienced the derecho. I think it was my mom had been reading some stuff and she found out and I'm like, what, what is that? (laughs) And uh, I guess it means an inland hurricane. So I had never experienced that in my life, but what happened was around, I think it was on August 10th, if I remember correctly. And with a short little notice of about five to 10 minutes, the tornado sirens are going off and they're saying, you're going to get impacted by some really strong winds and Cedar Rapids, uh, the city that I work in, uh, was impacted with the highest recorded winds of that storm. It was over 140 miles an hour. Oh. And uh, that's a, reminiscent of a Category 2 to 3 hurricane or an F3 tornado. And it lasted for 45 minutes, roughly. So for 45 straight minutes, this, the whole city, and this thing was 700 miles long. 40 to 50 miles wide so we have plans in place like say a fire erupts in our building we can go to a nearby different 911 center and evacuate if a tornado were to take us out in our building we can go to those nearby centers and evacuate but this thing was wide enough 50 miles wide um, that it uh, was also impacting our backup 911 centers as well and so it leveled the majority of the city Uh, They estimate about 50 to 60%, I think is the number I saw of all of the tree life throughout the whole city has been completely destroyed. Uh, A normal busy day for us is around 200 911 calls. And we took um, over 1,900 during that day of the storm. And we also, a busy day would be roughly about 500 non-emergency calls. And we took over uh, 2,000 non-emergency calls on that one day because of the storm. And then the thing about the derecho also was a lot of our dispatchers live in our jurisdiction. And Uh, so after the storm, uh, several had house damage. Some people had car damage, garage damage, and we still had to try and staff our place. And then cell phones were not able to get out a lot of the cell phone uh, technology. So we were struggling to reach our dispatchers to wonder whether or not they would be able to come in for the next shift. And also, number one thing, though, was are they okay? Uh, I mean, that's first and foremost, whenever you're going through a crisis or a devastating situation is life safety, are you okay? So I wanted to hear from our staff and make sure that they were okay. I know that one of our dispatchers took a call and uh, was from, it wasn't a 911, I think it was, she uh, received a call on her cell phone or maybe a text where her son was at work And the roof had blown off his place of employment and then the phone went dead. So she didn't know if he was okay as she was continuing to take 911 phone calls. Um, It was the busiest day I've ever had in my career. It was a triage type approach during that storm of life safety, protecting the employees that are working, finding out about the employees that are not working, protecting the responders to the calls of, hey, we got lines down, they're arcing, we got traffic signals out, we, get, we got accidents, we got people trapped, we got roofs off, uh, gas was exploding all over because mm. the gas lines were uh, heavily impacted during the storm. And it was one of the busiest days I've ever experienced in my career. Uh, something I'm extremely proud of my staff for everything that they did to get through it and continue to do. Uh, because the cleanup is still going on to this day. It's now a month and a half later. And uh, just getting back to somewhat semblance of normal. uh, But knowing that even when we walk out the door, the trees that were uprooted uh, at the police department that we work at, it was a really horrendous uh, storm, something I'd never heard of a derecho and really was a challenge for all of the 911 centers that worked uh, all the way across the whole state because it went right through the middle of the whole state, all the way across it. Steph,
0: I can't imagine working Mm-mm. as a dispatcher. And he just, Joe just mentioned it, but I'm living in the district. Yeah, I'm taking phone calls and I'm thinking, how is my family doing? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I cannot imagine that burden. Like I'm here working this. You're, it's what is my family doing a
1: self sacrifice. Oh my gosh! To be in yes. this position yes. right? to serve that way.
0: So Joe, what led you to going from working the desk to then training 911 dispatchers and do all the training that you do?
2: Yeah, a lot of these state chapters put on training conferences, either annually or biannually. And I was the training committee chairperson. And one of the speakers that we booked to show up uh, called like two or three days before. It was a two-hour speaker and said, I can't be there. And so I talked to the board And I asked him, I said, hey, could I just put on a presentation? I don't know who else would come. And they said, sure. And it got pretty good reviews, and I was proud of it. And so I decided that I wanted to take it a step further. And I've had some hurdles along the way. They ended up electing me as the president uh, for the state of Iowa for APCO. And the very first conference I did as president, the speaker, which they only had one book, it was an eight-hour speaker, called me the night before at 9.30 p.m., (laughs) and she says, I can't come. Eight-hour so speaker. Eight-hour speaker, and I can't come. My first co- conference is president, so I stayed <laughs> up all night. I called some people that I knew did presentations in our state. They came to the rescue, and then I concluded the concert. I put it together like a two, two-and-a-half-hour presentation uh, overnight, slept about 40 minutes. And it was those two experiences that said, look, I can do this. And then I wanted to take and find something or some sort of certification that would allow me the opportunity to add really beneficial information about communication, leadership, paying it forward, and everything else to my classes. And so I found the John Maxwell team, and it's really paying off. And now I'm soon I'll have participated in two Dare to Be Great uh, virtual conferences. And the first one I did earlier this spring had over 1,600 people registered. And I think they said in six or seven different countries. Oh, wow. And so it's been a, I I call it from the headset because that's what I wore when I was working uh, or the desk from the headset to the world. Uh, That's kind of my motto that I like to use when explaining my uh, journey and everything else that I'm paying it forward to other emergency dispatchers around the world and bringing hopefully some of the best information they've heard about communication and leadership.
0: Steph, what would you do if you're speak- if you're overseeing a conference mm-hmm. and someone the night before calls off? They better have a darn good excuse. I'd probably cry. They better be in a casket. Kids
1: cry <laughs> like what?
0: No kidding. Ew. I'd like pop in a video or something the next day, <laughs> 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 like I'm a substitute teacher. <laughs> you go kids, watch this for eight hours. <laughs> we're we're starting off with the show taken, mm. and then we're gonna go from there.
1: <laughs> what did you learn from Taken? Yeah. What did you learn from this? That'll what did you have hours. said? <laughs> oh, gosh. Is there, have you, when you were at a training, has there ever been a trainee that they've taken a call and you're like, no, no, like that is not what you said and be like, okay, this is not the job for you. Has you, yeah. anything like that happened?
2: Oh, yeah. There's calls that if you were to Google 911 dispatcher like on YouTube or uh, 911 dispatcher on YouTube and you'll get all these phone calls about attitude. And anything else. So I think one of the more famous ones is I I think a mom called in struggling with a young child, whether it be an eight or nine year old, and the dispatcher said on the line, What do you want us to do? Come over there and shoot 'em. Oh, <laughs> you, know, no. you know. And so that uh definitely was not a good call. It's no. what not um, to do. No. Yeah, what not to do. So th- those are the ones that stick out where you think, okay, let's let's retrain or re- get back together here and uh, do it a little bit differently moving forward. because we don't want any of those examples coming from our agency. That example is not my agency. Neither (laughs) Neither one, by the way.
1: Okay. I want to know how many babies you have instructed to deliver. Yeah. Yeah. Like how many babies? Oh, okay. Yes.
2: Yes. I personally did one um, before I started, and they were there before the fire people got there. And I remember that it was a boy. Uh, And we had not been really emergency medically trained and the ambulance person was also on the phone with me at the time we do it a little differently now where um, we take the call from a to z and since we implemented emergency medical dispatch i think we've done five or six uh, maybe even seven where the baby has been completely delivered um, and on the mother's belly and everything else and they're ready for the paramedics or law enforcement or fire whoever gets there first where the dispatcher walked Uh, The caller and um, the mother uh, through delivery right over the phone. But that call uh, is one where you definitely want to celebrate with it with the dispatchers. They're proud of them. A lot of people give little pins, whether it be a pink uh, pin or a blue pin or whatever it might be, but we have delivered babies at our agency. And I always remind them that they've now spoken with the doctor and everything. else. So, <laughs> yeah, definitely makes me pretty proud of the dispatchers when they deliver those babies and they're uh, completely born before uh, any responder gets there.
0: Oh my God. So Joe, when you did that, did you have any children at that moment yourself? Or you're completely like, going blind without training like trying to figure this out
2: (laughs) yeah no children for me and so i had no (laughs) children at that time and i was going blind basically
0: steph we cannot do this podcast all by ourselves when we first started we needed some major help and guidance with our technology issues and we're extremely fortunate to have met mr craig clausen that man has been an absolute godsend for us. I
1: freaking love Craig. Claussen Solutions Group is an information, technology, and media management company helping customers with their people, process, technology, and message. CSG helps organizations with their technology implementations, project and change management, and social media messaging.
0: I have no idea what you just said.
1: I honestly don't know either, but we both know Craig's amazing at it. So. He's
0: just really good at He's his really job. really good okay? at what he does. <laughs> like, Trust us, he's very good with technology. So if you have any technology issues, social media needs, just don't know where to start, give Clawson Solutions Group a call at 614 859 6328. They are a proud sponsor of.
1: Tell us a good story. When you take a phone call, when the phone rings and it's your turn to take it, does your heart just start pounding? Like, what's going to happen? Right. Or are you just so even keel, like nothing phases you?
2: Yeah, I mean, when I first started the first few days, when I went on my own, I was was a little tense, you know, but as you get used to it, a lot of times the there's a phrase that sometimes people use is 300 call syndrome. Once you hit that 300 call syndrome, you get a little more used to it. Uh, And you're not until all of a sudden when you answer the call, and then you realize it's an emergency because we take more non-emergency calls on 911 than we actually do Really true emergencies, so I think that's the reason it kind of prevents us from getting hyped up a little bit right away.
1: Do you have any other stories? I'm all about stories. Any other things that you think about that you didn't mention before?
2: Yeah, I mean, there's other stories as well, um, you know. But a lot of the stories revolve around bad, and so yeah. When when your when your podcast was good, I was like. Um, you know, uh, but the one that uh, sticks into mind for me that I, you know, I've told on a few other is the rollerblading uh, teenage girl uh, that was rollerblading in a parking lot. And this is when we just had the phase one where you only got the tower. And I took the phone call from, a, I think it was about a five to six year old uh, nephew or not nephew, but a cousin of the rollerblader. And the rollerblader does lose her life in this. So teenage oh, girl. And she's rollerblading up to the car and goes to stop but her hands she put uh, at the window, and they went through the window, and uh, the glass had, had cut her neck, so she lost her life and anything else, but I took that phone call from the five or six year old uh, child in the car, and all I had was the GPS coordinates of the cell phone tower, so an area of town which could be anywhere. Oh, right. And so I started asking questions of what do you see? And it's a young caller, but he was able, old enough to know he saw a baseball diamond. So maybe older than five or six, I guess. Um, and he saw a Brown building and he didn't see any other cars, but was in a, a, a like a long parking lot. And so I kind of guessed and I ended up dispatching an East side and a West side fire engine and an ambulance to our two, two of our five high schools that I thought it might be And it ended up being one of the two. And so that call is kind of what led me to training because I I did go through a a debriefing and I had to dispatch that call. And I just keyed up the radio and I said, look, I don't know where they're at for sure, but I'm sending you to a a teenage female uh, that has glass stuck in her neck and throat and heavy bleeding. And uh, hopefully it's one of these places, let me know if it's not. And uh, I remember that call vividly because during the debriefing, which those are confidential, but the one thing that I always share is one of the firefighters did say, hearing how I dispatched it, they knew it was an emergency call right away. And then when they got there, uh, it, they were at the right place. And so I feel good about the fact that I got the person help as quickly as I could. I obviously don't feel good about the outcome. But when you say, should 911 improve due to technology? I say, absolutely. We have to be able to do better and do faster and be more accurate.
0: Well, when you're talking earlier about the number of calls that you take, Mm -hmm. like how many calls do you take on a daily basis on a shift, Joe? Because you said you have non-emergency and emergency.
2: Mm -hmm. Yeah, our dispatchers, the call takers that are, because we got it split up. into. Usually we have two people on phones, somebody doing law enforcement dispatch and somebody doing fire dispatch. But our call takers will take about 100 to 110 phone calls on a given shift. Oh, my gosh. Total. Total. Yeah, okay. In, in, in Across hours. two people. Yeah. Uh, well, no. Each person no, takes, each person. Each person takes okay. about 100 to 110. So, 200 and 220 total between the two people. On a shift. Yeah.
0: Okay. That leads me to a memory that I have. I had seen a psychiatrist. Speak at a conference, okay? And he joked that he'd got through school and started his practice, or went went to a practice and started talking. And he's like, after a few days of just hearing hours of people's problems and stressful things, he said, by like the end of the week, he's like he was ready to ask the the patient, like, "What pills are you on?" And she told him, and he's like, "Can I have some right now, please?" Because of everything he had experienced that week. Right. And so with you, I'm thinking of you and your team and how many issues and stressful moments you got to deal with on a daily basis. Right. So from you training, you instructing just from your experience, how do you handle that at the end of the day? Right. Mm -hmm. Because that's going to be hard just to to shut off what you just experienced that week or that shift.
2: Yeah, that's a great question. Nine one one in the United States has been around since 1968, so we're really not that old. We're just over 50 years old. We just celebrated our birthday. Most people think we're probably older than that. And what you're starting to see is that uh, post-traumatic stress and emotional trauma is starting to creep up on 911 dispatchers that are retiring, and even sooner than retiring. And so 911 is being challenged to create training for mental health and peer support, and the way we're dealing with it is we're part of the peer support team at the agency I work at. We're getting dispatchers trained in mental health training and debriefing and crisis intervention. And we're starting to make them part of the solution as well because they know each other the best and they can help check on each other. But during a major event, uh, we also have it that they have to call or text or whatever, get a hold of my boss and I, and we will also go in and try to provide some support for them. And we've learned along the way Uh, the best ways to do that and to make sure you're just talking to them, getting them a trained person up there, whether it be a law enforcement officer that's trained in crisis debriefing or whether it be a chaplain or something along those lines, somebody that they can talk to so that they just don't go home with unanswered questions. And then to make sure they're part of debriefings as well. When it's a major, major call uh, to make sure that the 911 dispatchers are included during debriefing, so that they can also share their story.
0: That would be a heavy burden. Mm-hmm. Very heavy burden. For sure. Well, before we end this conversation, I want to give you a quick fun fact because it, you did say you're part of the John Maxwell team, right? Yes. As a, a certified speaker. So, yes. fun fact for you I was born and raised in a small town in Ohio called Lancaster, Ohio. Okay. When I was a kid, my dad was a pastor. And in the same hometown that I was in, John Maxwell was a pastor for Faith Memorial Church in oh. my same hometown. And so, I remember my dad talking about going to prayer breakfasts for pastors in the local area and John Maxwell being there. And I remember asking my dad, like, hey, what, what was he like back in the day? So, this would have been like probably late 80s, I would mm-hmm. say, when, when this happened. And I remember my dad saying he vividly recalled John Maxwell being very outgoing, very personable, but he had... No idea that John would end up being this international speaker, New York Times bestselling author, and just how he just exploded right later on in life. So um, so yeah, John Maxwell lived in my hometown. I didn't know that. For I think like 15 years of his life. Oh, wow. And he went to, um, he graduated from Ohio Christian University there in in Circleville. Yeah. So um, yeah, so small fact. So when I was growing up, my dad was a pastor in, in Lancaster, and, and so was John Maxwell at the same time.
1: You're welcome, Joe, for that fun fact.
2: <laughs> yes. That's an awesome fun fact. You know, <laughs> Joining the Maxwell team is one of the best things I ever did. Uh, the diversity, the different uh, countries and everything else, and meeting people uh, from all different aspects of life, and also finding out that I really did need some leadership training to become a better leader. And uh, it's been one of the best things I could have ever decided to do. So uh, uh, that's, that's an good. awesome fun fact, and I'm proud to be part of that team.
0: Oh good. That's awesome. Well listeners, for more information about Joe, you can go to his website at 911 goldlinetraining.com. or you can see him on Facebook and Instagram at 911 goldline Training. So Joe, this was amazing. Thank Thanks, you Joe. so very much. Your career, your experience, just absolutely fascinating. So thank you so much for joining us here.
2: Yeah. Thanks for having me on. I appreciate the opportunity. You guys are doing good stuff. You've had some magnificent guests on uh, your podcast. I would encourage everybody to listen to it because uh, the interviews are just great. And I appreciate you guys doing everything that you're doing as well. So thank you to both of you for having me on and taking the time to get to know each other. I've really had a great time today. Oh,
0: thank thanks, you, Jill. Joe. We appreciate, appreciate that. It. Hello, friends. Thank you so much for listening. If you would like to support this podcast, please go to Apple Podcasts. You can rate and review this episode. Also, for those who have asked us how to financially support, you can go to kevinandsteph.com and order one of our books of You Met Her Where. Thank you so much for listening to
1: Tell Us a Good Story.